Oh, well, I'm going to chat with these mofos. We're going to, um, we're going to tape. She's fully finishing a conversation. Listen, call us everybody. mofos. That's the worst part. It, it's a four. Okay. I have four. <laughs> uh, have, have a great show or whatever. Whatever is. that is. Ew, get out of here, Afua. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friends, Trisha in LA. Hello. And Jason in DC. Hey, Chris. Hey, Trisha. Did you see how I almost forgot Trisha's name? I don't even mind it because I don't even mind it because I'm looking at myself in the Zoom and I oh, look great. You so look great. Like, That's everyone why you sh- couldn't remember it. She was like starstruck. Done by your beauty. Everyone should know that Trisha gets in full geesh for these podcast videos that no one ever sees. Like full head to toe, makeup, lipstick, like the whole nine you yards. Know- Meanwhile, me and Jason are Barely wearing clothes. Chris barely. has a shirt on today, though, listeners, I do which have is a not shirt the norm. Can I can I inform you of something? What? I just want you to understand what? that no makeup is on this face except lipstick. That is because Bullshit. the blackness, honey. This is the Bullshit. skin. Lean into no. the camera. You're lying. Take off those no. glasses. Yes, you are wearing. Don't. Trisha. <gasps> None. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> This is going to be so stimulating for the listeners. No, talking, this is great for podcasting. It's great. Yeah. Sorry. I know. Sorry. If you can't you see know it, Trish is just naturally beautiful. Yeah. A little bit of sun. This is this is why we have to really deal with the fact that we really need sun mm. and we really need water because like my hair is the same thing. When I wear my hair natural, mm-hmm. out, flu free flowing, I always remembered that when it was starting to look a little bit weird, all I needed to do was spritz water on it. Spritz well, that's water. That's just because you're black. Yeah, because our hair, you spit some water, you go crunch, 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 and crunch, the curls crunch, just and it was like, snap what to I'm life. Saying in terms of like the things that we need, sun, yeah, air. It's the basics, right? The basics. Yeah. Like, well, cool. good for you. <laughs> good for, well, you look great. I feel like I, <laughs> I feel like I'm carrying bags underneath these eyes. Sorry, Jason. <laughs> Sorry, Jason. It's fine. You'll be fine, Jason. Just moisturize, moisturize, moisturize. I cannot stress this enough. <laughs> Moisturize morning, noon, and night. And no, you can no. hang with us when you're 70. Okay. I'm glad Speak- that I have to look good to hang with you when I'm 70. Oh, please, this is I mean, in the nursing home. Jason, you knew exactly what this was back in the 90s when you we did, met. You tell me back in the day, you do not have friends who aren't good looking. Remember? I was yet. like, all my friends are really attractive. I don't know if that's by design or accident, but I'm keeping it going. Um, <laughs> speaking of sun, you two, I... Um, I recently got back from Cancun, Mexico. I was one of those gays running around the beaches of Cancun. And me judging you. (laughs) Judge away. First of all, it's so funny. I was there for a wedding. Everyone, you know, we're all taking pictures. And after every picture, everyone was like, don't post that. Don't tag me. (laughs) Don't. It's like, don't worry. I, I'll tell you this much. I have, I have a couple of observations. Trisha, you talked once about being in an all-inclusive resort. I was, this was an all-inclusive resort, which if you're not familiar, um, poor people listening, it <gasps> is <laughs> not, not for nothing. Awful. I didn't pay full price for this. Like we got like 
a full three night discount. We paid for like. One I mean, night. I'm just but gonna like, say fellow pores in solidarity. I know I'm fellow. Poor. Thank well, you. listen, I didn't feel very poor at this all inclusive resort. Everything is paid for, like the food, the drinks. So we were like, this is our schedule. Listen up. Wake up at seven, eat breakfast, lunch number one. That's like at 1030. Lunch number two, that's oh. at 1230. Dinner one's at 430. Then you have a snack. Then dinner two is at 830. Then you call for room service at 1059 because I stopped taking orders at 11. It was <laughs> nonstop. But you got to get your money's worth. It's like you're in an all you can eat. <laughs> well, I mean, you are. You are. And you paid for it. So go for it. Anyway, um, I will say this about resort living. You know, and I knew it before I left New York. I was like, I'm going to hear more Spanish in JFK than I will on this trip to Mexico. And sure <laughs> enough, the only Mexican people I saw work there. And every time I said anything or they brought anything, they always ended every sentence with, it's a pleasure to serve you. So I was like vomiting six, 17 times a day. I just felt like such a colonizer. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is the wacky thing about resorts though Gross. like the fa- the on-demand care is a little bit it takes a while it takes a while it to adjust to it old world too like there's something very there's like, a model there i don't know what that model is though well, you know, like I, you I, it's, it's interesting. i've thought about you know i remember after going to the bahamas and i stayed at, at the atlantis and I don't, I don't know this for a fact, but the sense I got is that everyone making money from Atlantis is white and not from the Bahamas and everyone getting a minimum wage job is, you know, and I know a lot of the argument would be like, oh, it's creating jobs, but I just, I wish there was some like method of convincing the people getting all the money to like gradually transition ownership to people. Why would they do that? I know I was going to say, <laughs> but you know what, Jason? The whole time I was there, I kept looking around, trying to count how many people worked there. I was really interested in the economics of how it worked. The place was so well-staffed. Like we had like a, the, the rehearsal dinner was on the beach. There were like 30 of us. There was a 12 staff present. Wow. And I was like, there must be literally hundreds of people who work at this resort, if not over a thousand. Like a small town. It was, a, it was like Disney World. It was its mm-hmm. own community. I, I, I will say this, all-inclusive resorts, meh the kind of luxury they offered felt really 19th century to me. And maybe it's because I'm descended from colonized people, but I was just like, I don't know. It felt kind of gross. I, I'm not gross. Like, I mean, it felt, I mean, the food was delicious and the beds were fantastic. And there was a pool in my room. Like that was all fantastic. It's just like I, all of this bowing and scraping. I was like, this doesn't please me. It just makes me uncomfortable on like a little level. I, I often think about like the stratification of work. It if it was by age rather than ethnicity, I'd be much more comfortable with it. Like, like if it was all teenagers, teenagers serving you, yeah, yeah, you'd get nothing <laughs> oh on God, time. Everything would suck. They they drop the drink. Sorry, sir. It would be a mess. You don't want that. What about what about just what about just eliminating the serving? <laughs> but I guess that's I, what you pay for. I, I was gonna I, say that's why people go. That's why people go. They don't want to. Every time they they move a pinky, they want someone there to be like, "Would you like me to fresh your drink?" And after a while, I was like, "You know what? I'm gonna get my own water." No, sir, I can't have. I'm gonna carry my own bag. No, no, no. I'll carry it for you. I'm like, I'm good. Although no, you that, have to let them do that, though, yeah, because that's then. The, that's, that's what that's I found. the tricky part is like if you try to do this weird like collegial thing, you actually mess up how the organization is structured, and then and how they the don't... people make their living. Like, yep, I, I, I've had that experience both in Cancun as well as um, in Russia. I remember, like, I remember getting oh, off a train. All inclusive in bag. Russia. 
What's that? There was an all-inclusive. No, no, I'm and... not talking about all-inclusive. Okay. <laughs> I'm like... talking about now, like when you get off a plane or a train mm-hmm. and there are people there whose livelihoods depend on carrying your bag so you will tip them. And I can remember, like, yeah. I don't feel right. Like, I don't want you carrying my bag. Like, that feels that feels colonizing to me, right? But then, then the, you know, understandably, they're pissed if I don't let them carry it because it's yeah. like, unless I, I guess, tip them and keep my bag. I don't know. Oh, boy. I, I The post-vacation doldrums are real, though. What's oh, my gosh. Can I tell you? This is true. Because the last time I went to an all-inclusive, it was for my mom's birthday. I remember. I remember we came yes, back and I was like. extensively on this podcast. Yes, we talked about. And but the thing, <laughs> it was the after effects. I was just like, wait a minute. I'm expected to do things throughout the day now. What? what, what is- <laughs> I fully walked into my kitchen this morning. I'm like, what? No breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> I loved it, though, because mom was feeling the same way. Mom was like, wait a minute. What's going on here? <laughs> Jason, you shared that you'll be spreading COVID in Mexico in a couple of months. Are you going to an all-inclusive? Yeah, it is an all-inclusive, I think, in Riviera Maya. Yeah. That's good, though. Um, what a wonderful opportunity for you to celebrate. No, that's that's going to be great. Right. My wife's never been to Mexico, so. Oh, well, cool. if, if you go to a resort, she still won't be. Yeah, I was so. going to say, not that she's going to see Yeah, she won't see anything of Mexico. Take a side trip somewhere, if you can. If they let you off the resort. <laughs> okay, so let's jump into some topics. Yeah, let's stop talking about our rich, all-inclusive having lives, and let's jump into not some, even, not even, not even, because like we, it was a steep discount. We we asked, we were like, um, if we want to spend one more night, how much would it be? And they told us, and we're like, no problem, we'll pack our bags. Thank you. <laughs> let's show ourselves out. Bless. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> All right, let's jump into some topics. Uh, Jason, why don't you introduce this topic on how we gather? So something we've talked about both on this podcast and of course everyone talks about in general is the changes we've had to make over the past year in terms of not gathering in large groups. With things like sporting events where you go to an arena or stadium and you go with lots of people. That seems to be something that's very attractive to a lot of people, maybe uh, satisfies a need in some people to, to gather in a communal way and watch something, have a shared experience. And now, even as we're you know potentially getting out of the pandemic, I think many of us may be very hesitant to do that kind of thing again at the same levels we did before. So what could that look like? Is, is there another way to meet that need? Is that maybe not a need as much anymore? What do you two think? If I'm looking at something, do I want to look at it with you and then turn and say, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Is that really fundamentally at the base what's going on I think when so. I gather with someone? I mean, picking up on the picking on your topic about like the Oprah interview, there is something about the shared experience, the immediacy. So I think, yeah, the answer to your question is yeah. Although I do, I think there's something more. So it, admittedly, like I am not someone who goes to lots of sporting events. I don't feel a strong desire to do that. But my observation is that like, people seem to really value this sense of like, there's a large group of us engaged in something against someone else. Like I've always been fascinated people who use the pronoun we, when they go to like a football game and like, I live in Philadelphia and the Eagles like, and they say, we is like, you're not on the field, but like, yeah, we're going to beat them. And then, you know, there'll be, if it's like, if it's like a, a, you know, a team that's, the city's close to the opponent's city, then you have people from both sides. And there's this like, you know, shouting in joy when your side scores, like, 
that to me is, I mean, I think what you said, Trisha, absolutely. That's part of it is like, Hey, did you just see that? There's also this, like, you know, the doing the wave. It's like, we're in this together. This is us this is our city defend this house kind of thing. You're focusing on the, the, the aggressive part of it. What I'm focused on is the fact, like thinking about football games or soccer games, people show up in like below zero temperatures, shirtless, painted in the colors, like just so excited to be there to see and be seen. There is something I think about the community. The tailgating aspect isn't really necessarily about the competition. Like it's just people coming together because they have a single shared interest. I think that is, it's really important. I think it's psychologically important for people to gather in that way. Hell, most of Americans gather that way on Sunday morning. And, you know, I know that religion might be seen as a little different, but Maybe not that, it, that people are coming together around something common. And I think that is, I think it isn't, it's fundamental and necessary to get back to what you were saying, Trisha. I think you're right though, from the religious aspect, right? I think there is, there is a one plus one equals three thing. And so I guess maybe really what it's coming to is that whatever it is that we're doing with each other, the requirement that we do it in the company of others and not just a small group setting, because then a crowd adds another element to it. I think we have to really respect that need, even if we don't quite understand it. And so I've been really struggling with the fact that um, we haven't really taken into consideration those elements of human needs as we're trying to tackle the pandemic. Why do we sort of sideline those things? (laughs) Those are fundamental. If we survive without those aspects of our culture does it really mean much and I guess it's weird right because I feel like I'm sort of hitting on some of the points that I've heard conservatives kind of use right when they say what are we fighting for like what are we what are we trying to do as we tackle this pandemic like what are the costs as we go about trying to like eke out a life and I just I've been really thinking about the group thing right because I went to actually a drive-in Let me just let you know, I literally had the DVD in my house and I went to the drive-in to see it and paid money to see it as part of a group. And I was thinking, I just, I didn't want to stay at home and do it on my own. I really wanted to do it in a shared environment. And the drive-in was like a really interesting way for us to do that. Like we could all be in our cars, but there was some weird vibe that I was getting, knowing that I was watching it with other people and not just people I knew, strangers. (laughs) That's interesting. I don't know what that feeling is. I mean, I'm sure there's some deep work that's probably done on like a psychological level and horrible me psych major that I don't recall it. But there's something that um, felt really, I don't know, I felt really warm and sort of like at home with that idea. And I just felt like we didn't have access to those experiences during the pandemic. And we have to acknowledge that need in some way. And we have to figure out how to nurture it as we try to slowly come back together. I mean, I appreciate what you said. I don't know. I don't know if I feel I have that need, which that doesn't mean anything. But Chris, do you feel like you have that need? I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be really honest here. I'm not looking forward to movie theaters to being open again. Just this week, there were two mass shootings. And I know that I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And this is not to challenge anything you said, Trisha. And again, like Jason said, just because I'm not feeling that drive, it doesn't mean anything. I think this drive does exist for people. I think people want to gather. I mean, from the march to the riot to the parade, like people like to get out there and be with each other on, you know, on a common cause. I, I like that. As the older I get, yeah, the older I get, the more I'm wary 
of that. This reminds me of a conversation that Trisha, you and I had a very long time ago in college. Like we were literally teenagers. But I, my point at the time was that there are certain parts of the human experience that are necessary and fully part of the human experience. And my, my point was like, those things are art and music and dance because there's been no human civilization that's ever existed without those things. Those are not ancillary parts of our experience. They're intrinsic to who we are. And I think gathering in groups, I think getting together, I think that is part of our human experience. And yes, yeah. idiosyncratically, like me and Jason, we're like, well, we can take it, we can leave it, or we can modify it or do it in small groups and that satisfies our need. I, I do think that it is critically important for humans to gather in that way. And I think the pandemic has really shown us you know, with the skyrocketing and people, I do mean skyrocketing levels of depression and mental anguish, especially amongst young people. You know, I think that shows for sure that this is a necessary need for people. Like this is a necessary outlet for people to get together. Going forward, I am worried. I see two outcomes. One, we're gonna hit herd immunity sometime this summer of 2021. And then everyone's going to go, oh, thank God, back to normal. And then we all just flood into the movie theaters. We flood into the football stadiums and just sort of like live the best they can with COVID. Or two, we start to make changes to those spaces and how people gather. Or we borrow some of the lessons that we've learned from the pandemic and that we alter fundamentally that gathering function, which I, both of those I think are detrimental. Like there's pros and cons. I don't know what's better. What's the um, lesson that you think is happening? Why are you worried about that? Because I mean, we're adaptive as well, right? That's the thing about our uh, sure. condition. We're adaptive. The pandemic has made an all or nothing situation. And like, we don't usually operate in all or nothing. You know, humanity doesn't start and stop doing anything <laughs> at once. However, you know, in 2009, late 2019, we did stop doing something. So yes, we are adaptive. And I think... Um, the lessons that we've learned about, especially like using online as much as I'm exhausted of it. I wonder when that bleeds into the new normal, is that going to be enough of the thing? Is that going to be enough of the sort of note that needs to be hit with people that's going to satisfy that, that gathering imperative? I'm going to call it a gathering imperative. I think humans want to gather. I think people have to gather. And I think if people are stopped from gathering or won't get, I think it's, it's, it's the downfall for society. I'm going to just say that. Wow, it's both. Strong statement. It's both, but I, I feel that way. I think that's right. I also think what's interesting to me is for some of us, and I think specifically maybe like my kids, but maybe us too. Like for the rest of our lives, is it going? Even if we do gather, are we going to have that moment of like, oh, like oh, <laughs> like you know, like wow, I, wow, we had that time when you never did this, and I, I, I still like when I first walk into a room with a bunch of people, my first thought is to put your mask on or step out, um, and then I wonder whether they're just going to be larger groups of people than there otherwise would been who continue to abstain, right? Like people are like, I'm not getting on a subway. I got on them before. I'm not doing it again, or I'm not going to movie theaters. Like, and again, I don't think it'll be the majority. I think you're right, Chris. Um, I agree with you that this is like a need that will, that will continue and revive. But mm -hmm. I do wonder if like, there's just like groups of people that will not go to sporting events anymore. I, I don't know. I, I do know. I think because honestly, and I've said this before, I'm not going back to the movie theater. I'm okay. So you're one of those people. Yeah. I'm one of those people. Yeah. I mean, I, I will go back to theater. Does that, that, that says more about, that says more about those settings than maybe my need to gather. You have like a value threshold maybe where like you'll yes. go, you'll gather if it's important enough to you, but maybe things you would have gathered for before, like a movie, like that's not worth it. 
I mean, especially one of the lessons we learned from the pandemic is that, especially as TVs get cheaper and cheaper, I feel like I can watch a theater at home and, and get a good enough experience. I can't get that from stage. Sporting events, if I cared about them, I would get, I feel like I could get a good enough experience at home, especially for some sports like tennis. Listen, Trisha's a huge tennis freak, so I've been forced to watch tennis from time to time. And let me tell you something, Trisha, I don't know how you sit in the stands and watch that. I'd be bored to tears. No. I mean, are you are you racing to get back to have that experience? It's great when you can watch it on TV. You get zoom ins no. of like their face, the you know overlays what? of the graphics and the score. Do this you know is what? good. I've always wondered this. So I'm glad this is what's getting us. To yeah, Trisha. actually, why do you travel this topic, all Trisha. over the world? Yeah, to this go is an intervention. Person. I totally agree. You get a better perspective on the TV. You can go to the Trisha, bathroom easier. You're like... going to Australia. You're going to freaking <laughs> England. You're flying all over the goddamn world. And I'm sitting at home watching on TV, getting full close-ups of Federer. And you're like trying to make him out in a crowd. What what gives? Like new topic. Is this something WTF? What is with you? Is this something you're anxious to get back to? You know Honestly. Do you know what's so funny about that? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna reverse it back onto you. Don't you dare. I will. So um don't, don't you answer a question with a question. Also, also because I know who you're I know who you live with. So I'm about to push this back onto you. Uh-huh. We have seen Hamilton on stage live, mm. and we've seen it Disney Plus. Tell me you the dare. difference. Because remember, you get close up. You can see it. They even you can put the words on the screen so you can actually make out what they're saying. So, and I don't know if Jason's seen it live because you might have just had the experience. I haven't. I've only Plus. seen it on Disney. You've Plus only had the Disney Plus experience. So, Christopher, let me put it back onto you. The Hamilton experience and the Disney Plus experience. What is that difference? Like, you're getting it. Because it's the same thing with, remember, museums are trying to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. People are asking this question. Like, if you could just see the art, why do you need to go and see it live? Like, all of that is happening. And I will say for the tennis, there are things you notice in person that you just, because remember, again, the tennis experience is constructed by the camera person. So the camera is leading your eye, but when you're there, you're choosing what you want to pick up on. So that's your participation in the live experience is that you are choosing which parts of it are coming at you. And then you also have the real sense of the power and the physicality of it when you're watching it live. There's something that you just, the the mediated experience doesn't often communicate that. So that can't be replaced for you. No, no. And then, you know, the other thing is, is the outsideness. It's sitting in the sun with Gosh. other people mm-hmm. watching it. I know. That's why I don't want to go to tennis. I know, right? I, like, I know. Oh, but the, the air sun. and it's like, it's true, right? And the then, U.S. And then, Open you know, is during the hottest I know. And then, the, and then the companionship of it. Then the companionship yeah. of it is like when, when there's an amazing shot, the gasp in the crowd and then the shared gasp by all of us. Did you see that? I saw. <gasps> wow. You know, so it's like it's that it's like sharing piece is a really big part of it. Um, and it's and then it's also the sensations. You know, all of your sensations are attuned when you are doing something live. Your your your, your touch is there, all of it. And so it really is a kind of like um, awakening. Um, and I, I, I hear you know? that. I hear that. And like the thing about Hamilton, this is why I said I would go back to the theater. Yes, you're saying you get a similar experience with sporting events. And I'm sure some people get a similar experience with theaters, museums, amusement parks, whatever it is for you. But Mm -hmm. again, that really underscores, I think, which is kind of getting around to my my original point, which is that I think this is a need in everybody. 
I think whatever you are thinking, you just have to find it. The you have find, to find that it. thing. So, Jason, you think you're not going to miss it, but there's a there is some aspect. What's your thing? What's your thing that you you want to be there for? I don't know. I like hanging out at home. Jesus Christ, Jesus. <laughs> when, when I was, you know, you know it was interesting when Chris said, when you said as I get older, I, I relate to that. When I was a kid, I mean, I remember when I went to Lollapalooza and I was you like. You went to Lollapalooza? Oh, Did actually, I know this? My first summer doing CTY before oh, I met oh, you, Chris. That's right. And, it, you know, Tribe Called Quest was there yeah, and like Parliament. And I was, it was so cool to be around all those people. Like, I love that. And as I get older, I'm like, oh. God, maybe you just lost that band. Like, I think maybe if you found a, if you found music, which is the thing that we've discussed in the past about how your musical change taste, your musical taste changes. And then maybe you don't pick up new musical taste yeah. anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's really the core of what's happened. Maybe live music was your thing, Jason, and it's just not anymore. But, you know, whatever that thing is that you like to do with others, <laughs> I don't know. Is it a talk? Is it a, an amazing talk in an audience, or yeah. you just like to sit at your home and watch that? I don't. Know. <laughs> I don't. I'll, I'll think about this. I'll take this. You think, about, think it. about it. Think about it. Um, I think. Um, I think it might revolve around your kids, though. Huh. If your kid, like, I mean, if your kids left the house to be like, okay, we're going to our graduation, you wouldn't be like, I'm going to sit at home and watch it. <laughs> well, no, of course, but I'm not sure. Well, where's the of to... course? But hold on no, a second. Because, because because when I think about why I would go, it would be to support them. I don't think it's because I love being. I, I actually I feel my. I'm thinking about it, but like I go to their sporting events and like, mm-hmm. oh God, let's hope no other parents are hearing this. I don't particularly love being around all the other people. I just want to be there for my kids. You're so horrible. We're going to judge you so bad. No, 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 no. Uh, no, no, no. I, I would never judge that. you for not wanting to be around other parents at kids' sporting events. <laughs> That's <laughs> the smartest thing you've ever said. <laughs> I would never judge you. I join you in that for sure. <laughs> the smartest thing you've ever said. Okay, so let's move on to our next topic. Let's talk about Adele. Adele suddenly lost about, I think it was... I, I read 45 kilos. Yeah. Was it, yeah. She lost that much weight. That is a lot of weight to that lose. Is. And yeah. when she lost it, the internet went nuts in several directions. Um, basically, people were celebrating her for losing the weight. Then, But other people were very disappointed and a little upset with Adele that she would go lose the weight as if she was carrying the banner for all the fat girls out there. So what we want to talk about today was fat phobia, diet culture, um, body consciousness in culture, especially around celebrities and celebrity culture. What does it mean for Lizzo to get on stage and twerk and shake her ass and then be labeled as brave before she's labeled as sexy? Meanwhile, when Dua Lipa, if that is a thing, I still don't know who that person is. When she does it, it's just, she can be roundly celebrated. What are we doing with the body? Um, And how are we leveraging that in culture? against people. Cause I, I really, I'm tipping my hand here. I was trying really to be even handed, but I feel like we're really leveraging body consciousness against people. So what do you two think about that? Well, it's weird when it turns on itself and I'll be, I'll be honest. I'm a, I'm a big girl and I never engage people about my body. It is just not a topic of conversation because I actually really think it's a private thing. Like I really do think that we have made the body public a space for discourse, a space for investigation, all kinds of things are like writ large on your body. 
I've never really been comfortable with that because I actually think it flips on itself. So it's like, you can celebrate Lizzo, you can celebrate Adele, but as soon as they, in their own personhood, make a choice, either direction, you get to have a judgment call about it. You well, judge that's celebrity through, culture. I, I but, mean, I mean, but, but that's celebrity culture in general, but we're talking about the subtext of it that has mm-hmm. to do with the body, right? Mm-hmm. And the subtext of it is like, you own choices that someone as an individual is making. And their choice then becomes something that you get to um, judge them on harshly. If well, they, and, I, and I that part of it to me is really strange because it's always been their body to do with it what they will. And how they choose to celebrate it, not celebrate it is really not your business. But the fact that you feel like you have some ownership of it I just have never understood why we entered into that contract in the first place. It's interesting. I hadn't really thought about this before, but even I know we're talking about kind of the celebrity culture, but putting that aside for a second, it is interesting that it is like very socially acceptable. I think in our society to compliment on some compliment someone when they appear to have lost weight, even to the sense that like, they may have a disease like they may have lost weight because of depression. They may be anorexic, but like that is acceptable. Now, interestingly, I'm just thinking out loud as I say this, it's not socially acceptable to explicitly say you look terrible because you gained weight or even to like, but, but, or is it, or isn't it? Well, I think again, I haven't thought about this a lot. I think it's very socially common to do like more kind of side eye kind of whisper to your friend kind of thing about how someone gained weight. But it's like, it's, it's, a, it's like, uh, it's a faux pas to like make a comment to someone explicitly that they gained weight. Mm-hmm. But with celebrities, it's like all of a sudden we are fine. Just like commenting in every direction. And I, I don't know. It, it really bothers me. Like, I think it, we it, should take, maybe take the celebrity out. No, I, I don't, I don't think Chris. we should, because I think it's because part of it is celebrity culture that we're talking about. But yes. the reason why I use that as a way to talk about this is because, you know, our attention to celebrities, right? Like Lizzo and Adele, the ones that we're using, our attention to their bodies and commenting about it. That's what creates an environment where we can comment about each other's bodies. And I think that really is part of the discussion. So Adele lost a ton of weight and everyone was like congratulating her. And she got a thousand billion likes on that photo with her being like super skinny. And, but then other people rightfully, a lot of the feminist handles were like, you know, we don't know what's going on with Adele. Like she could have cancer and is dying because all she did was post the picture. Like, we don't know what's happening. Well, maybe that's the perk of cancer is you lose weight. Well, a lot of people would tell you that. Trisha. But the th- but it's like Trisha, it's Trisha. It's like Jason said, like, it has become a cultural thing to congratulate people for losing weight, regardless of the reason, you know? And I, that's why I think celebrity culture is important because of what we do in public with public figures bleeds into what we do in private in our private lives, you know? And Trisha, I think it's really inspiring what you said. You don't allow people to comment on your body. You don't talk about your body. You don't, you know, you don't put your body on the conversation table, you know, but that's celebrity culture has put bodies there. And so Adele loses weight. We're talking about her weight. We're talking about, you know, there's going to be a camp. Well, she looked better fat. Well, no, she looks better this way. Da, 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 da. Lizzo had posted that she had posted in a, I thought it was indirect the way that she stated that she wants to lose weight or she has tried or she's trying to lose weight. And people went 
nuts. She's like, you're carrying the torch for the big girls. Why do you want to be skinny? You fall in prey to diet culture. And I'm like, or Lizzo has something going on with her, with her health that we don't know about. Maybe she has to lose weight to like everyone just stop talking. Or she just wants to lose weight. Or she just wants to lose her body. There's something to be said for that too, though. I mean, I think if we're going to, if we're, if it's, if it's a part of the conversation, then we should really admit that it means things when someone is anointed as something and then they move away from it. Like I reject making it a part of the conversation period, but once Mm -hmm. it becomes a part of the conversation, we do have to talk about why people lose weight what is at the core of the weight, the weight loss. Um, and I, I think one of the things I've been struggling with is the pushback around like fat positivity. Like I don't understand why people get so upset about that, but because it's always under the guise of, well, I'm worried about your, health. your health, health, but yeah. actually now you're worried about my health, but you don't wear a goddamn mask. Shut up. I I mean, mean, which, you know, which is a nice way of couching it, right? Fatness and weight and um, health have become entangled together in a way that actually isn't really necessary. And I wonder if it's not entirely Western because I, I think medical professionals I've seen have ignored underlying causes by simply focusing on weight weight becomes a shortcut for ill health, which is actually not the case at all. I mean, listen, then I can go down the whole thing because we can go down the whole food group issues, right? And how many of that is like a sort of capitalist adventure and all of that. So this idea that there's a kind of weight that's objectively unhealthy Mm -hmm. and body mass index and all of those things, which we now realize, and actually as you unpack that, you realize there's nothing really, yeah, there's nothing actually really, I hate to say it, um, medically based or sound there. Like, and so. Well, that- what you're saying is, is partly true. Absolutely. A, a woman had tweeted this about like how this woman was experiencing like this thing in her body, like pain or sensation or something kept going to the doctors. Like, you know, you need to lose weight. You need to lose weight. You need to lose weight. Turns out she had like a serious heart or, or organ issue that but she didn't have anything weight. to do with her she weight. She had to lose weight before they took that seriously. Yeah. She lost weight and then they're like, oh no, it's oh, still there. Nothing to do with your weight. Oh, well. And it could have killed her. It could have <laughs> killed her. And they, she literally had to lose weight to be taken seriously. I, I don't have to say that's problematic. That goes without but, saying. I mean, but that but tells this is, you the weight thing, right? The weight thing has done something. Well, this is the thing, but this is why I think you can't accept celebrities from the conversation. Listen, what's that magazine? It's at the supermarket where it's just like on the cover of Cosmo? it. It's like, no, it's not Cosmo. It's like the trashier yeah. ones. It's just all pictures of celebrities like in the beach in their bikinis. And yeah. it's like, who's pregnant? Or yeah. what? look what... Turn to page 30 to see what she looks like now. And like and now it's like all capital letters and the font is dripping with blood. And you're like, oh my God, I hope she's not fat. You know, th- th- injecting that into the conversation is having real world issues, is having real world consequences, like that woman we referenced. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like we have tangled up health into attractiveness, into um the ability or possibility of you being sexy to your very health, your health. And And to your very personhood, right? Because that's the other thing that's happening, unfortunately, for people who are fat and what Lizzo is supposed to represent. Like Lizzo and all the others are supposed to represent a kind of visibility that gives them permission to be themselves. 
that's a that's a weight that no one else should carry. No pun intended. <laughs> but like, it, like <laughs> that's not a comfortable thing, right? And I I remember I cannot remember which feminist said this many many moons ago. Roxanne Gay. <laughs> No, okay. um, much, much earlier than that. <laughs> mm-hmm. This feminist said, you know, we were going to we were going to rue the day that we made the body a political space. Right. In that way, at least the female body. The body has mm-hmm. always been a political space for black people mm-hmm. um, because we used to count it. We used to. Yeah, you could <laughs> buy and sell it. it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll sell it and buy it all of that. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's at the root of it. Right. I mean, some of the pieces that Jason, you shared suggest that fat phobia is really anti-blackness at the base Mm -hmm. what do you think about that contention i think it's uh, reading that and thinking about it i think there's certainly a strong for lack of a better term strain of fat phobia that's clearly rooted in in anti-blackness and in slavery and hierarchy of races and bodies and that kind of thing i feel like there are different iterations of this and i just feel too ignorant to i don't know enough um but there's clearly a tie for a lot of it with, with racism. And mm. I mean, the other thing that's interesting here, even while there's all this fat phobia, which there is, and it's real, there's also this like hypersexualization of black female bodies mm-hmm. and even white female bodies that people think resemble black female bodies, mm-hmm. like Kim Kardashian. Like that's, I don't know. There's like a whole, whole, I feel like we're like just well, uh, scratching the surface. It's an exotic, it's an exotic vacation of the body you know like listen like black women some black women are built differently than white women you know what i mean like just we're built slightly differently that the way that we hold fat and water in our bodies etc you know that's different all the world over also diet and such this idea that you know about the hips and the ass you know, and the hips and the ass, like having a big hips and ass is like a very black thing or it was a very black thing. What was um, Venus Hottentot? Was that her name? The yeah. woman who was like in a zoo mm-hmm. or whatever? It's um, what they called her. It wasn't actually her name. It was what they, uh, it obviously her that name. wasn't her name, okay. but like, you know, and just wondering at her body and otherizing it in this way um, mm-hmm. and exotifying it in this way, like, oh, this is, it was barely human. And I mean, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you know, picture the Kim Kardashian cover where she is like opening a champagne bottle and splashing it into a cup on her ass. Like that is referencing a particular very painful moment in history for black people and for humanity in general. Like, I do think that fat phobia is about anti-blackness. Like the idea that we are, we want to move away from bodies that are bigger, that are more corpulent. And we want to move towards like very skinny bodies, et cetera, et cetera. See, we have to sort of even like, we have to untangle that too, because there was a period in time when the body that is being sort of vilified now was seen as the height of wealth, right? If you are big, that meant that you had food and you had access to resources. So I actually think that what's really going on, regardless of size, right? Because um, maybe we've we've switched it up. I think there's, um, and I've read a book many, many years ago that said the basis of misogyny was a kind of um, a refusal to acknowledge the complexity of the human body, right? Which is that the female body represents something that is uncontrollable. It's, um, it's, uh, it's an untamed state, right? Like you don't know, you can't control it in the way that you can control, that you've tried to control like the male body. And so I was thinking to myself that this is just basically a control question. 
I think that we think that if we can control the body, we can control ourselves. And the female body has always represented an uncharted territory. It can't be controlled in the way that you think you can control it, particularly by men, by men, particularly by men. I think that's really important. I think, yeah, by men, right. Men mm. can't control the female body. And men don't understand the female body, even after all this time. Yeah. It's, and, and I think that failure to deal with something that is out of your control is also the thing that's going on with fat bodies and bodies that don't fit and bodies that don't work the way you want them to and bodies that don't comport themselves in the way that you want them to. It's like, I think fundamentally there's like a control issue here. It's like, I want you to look a certain way and your body refuses to do it. What will I do with it? You know, what should I do with it? Um, But I also think a celebrity can't take the place of your own interrogation with your body, your own, um, your own coming to terms with what your body does. Like, I don't think that we have to hold Lizzo or hold anyone else up because that's just a lot of pressure for them to have. They can't represent that for you. They just really can't. Just like we wouldn't expect black people to do that for each other. Although we do it right. We can't say you be the one voice of black people. You be the thing that represents us because that person's humanity has been completely shattered and they should be able to do whatever the heck they want. I agree with you. And yet what you're describing, I think we do all the time, yeah, right? Kamala like Harris, yeah. Celebrities, like whatever they, whatever's distinctive about them, they're carrying the mantle for whatever group identifies with that. And if they go off the path, it's really problematic. I mean, I think when I think about like, why would people have such a strong reaction in any direction? We project, you know, our hopes and our insecurities on the people that we see out there. And then if that person just gained all this weight, what does that mean about me? Or if that person just lost all this weight, what does that say about me? that's at the core of the Lizzo issue. Mm -hmm. The core of the Lizzo issue is that she puts her fat body in your face. She's got a thong on and you have an idea about who should wear thongs. She's got, she's showing you her boobs and you have a problem and you have an idea about who should show boobs because there are lots of people who show thongs and show boobs. And if they fit- There's literally whole magazines dedicated to that, yeah. Yeah, and if they've got the quote unquote right size, no one's offended. But I remember, remember when people were offended by Lizzo wearing a thong, I think to a basketball game and everybody was like, what about the children? I was like, I certainly don't think you care. Now we're worried about the children? No, it was so funny because I remember at the very same time that they were worried about her, they then showed the cheerleader performing in like, I was going to say, shoot. that's the regular uniform of the people yeah. performing in front of you. What? And they're like <laughs> bending over and jiggling their chest. And it's like Lizzo's thong is offensive. It's offensive. But what was offensive was the fact that she was breaking your own rules about what's appropriate. And I have to say, yeah. I think we internalize that too, because a lot of women were very punitive towards her. I understand when men do it, because, you know, that's, that's their message. That's the message we've given men is that they have the right to talk about women's bodies. Mm-hmm. But when other women were like, oh, and I was like, you know what? We have to interrogate that. Like, what is that inside of us that was sort of reacting? Internal fat phobia. Like, well, you, there is a thing like, you know, with other fat. big fat people, they also have their own fat phobia that they are dealing with. And I'll be honest, there's a thing I like to say, just because they make it in your size doesn't mean you should wear it. Over time, I really, <laughs> I really appreciate your, your honesty and candor there, Trisha. <laughs> but you know what? But then my cousin changed my mind about that. My cousin said one day, but on a certain level, you just have to respect the boldness, the boldness of just, you know what I mean? I was like, you know what? You're right. Like, it's like, 
why am I going to like tell you where this or where I mean there's a look and an aesthetic that I appreciate and I was I'm always like put on something that looks good on you yeah but you know what if you think you're rocking it then yeah looks good on you if you think it looks good on you that's all my, that matters my <laughs> own fat phobia I was always like well listen if you're that big then those clothes are just not comfortable but you know what those clothes aren't comfortable on anybody <laughs> exactly. do you remember do you remember my club wear like when I was younger that shit hurt. Like none of that. Those shirts were too tight. Those shoes were too small. You know what I mean? It wasn't comfortable for me either. So, and also the thong. The thong, yeah. which is an appropriate, <laughs> apparently, outfit for a thin person, oh is my also God. brutally uncomfortable. You don't want to wear a thong. <laughs> you don't want to wear one. It's I don't know. So, who I mean, that you're right. Torture device <laughs> up. Oh, I think it's not the most sanitary attire either. But I have to say, I think one of the best things about this decision I've made just personally is I never have to sit in on conversations that inevitably turn to <gasps> diet, exercise, mm. any of that. I was like, this is not a topic of conversation for me at all. And I really appreciate it. <laughs> like, it's like, what are you doing? Da-da-da. No, and not yeah, mine. People, people ask me all the time, like, oh, what gym do you go to? What do you do? Mm. What do you? And I'm always like, do you really care? I'm like, listen, yes. my body is my body. body. My body is my body. Your body is your body. You do what your body needs to do. Leave me and my body alone. Like this, whatever I'm doing works for me. And w- by works, I mean, I'm getting the sort of health benefits and look and aesthetic that I want. You do what you do. Don't worry so much about what I'm doing. Get out of That's my That's hard, I guess. Business. I mean, I guess so. But I think- It's hard because we need the body off of the different. conversation table, I think is a really difficult thing for people to do. I have to admit here, as recently as yesterday, like, I, you know, I- I've, oh, confession I lost 30, time. 30 pounds uh, since last March. And um, I have to admit when people are like, oh, you look like you lost weight. I, it makes me feel good. I'm just admitting that. I don't know what that well, says. Well, yeah, no. I mean, I think it's fine. You don't, have, think to it's fine. That, you don't yeah. have to apologize for it, but- and actually, I'm curious about it as from a parent's perspective, because I know that people leverage things with their children about their bodies. Like I've I've been hearing that young girls are like getting really self-conscious about their bodies super early. What are the cues that you give, Jason, to your children about how you want to talk about their physicality in any way? It's something I really try to be conscientious about. I mean, I don't talk about it much. Yeah, I really try not to focus on their bodies. I encourage them, you know, obviously be healthy and whatnot. Like where it gets really challenging for me is to what extent to like monitor eating and to check myself about if I am feeling like one of my kids is eating too much, is that because they're really eating too much? Is that because I am worried they're going to be overweight? Like then other adults get involved in that conversation. Like that's a challenge. Well, because it, it plays out for the kids. And so we've talked that we talked about celebrities, but I was thinking to myself, it does play out with children. Like children's yeah. are children's listening to the cues that you're giving them about what is approved and all of that. And mm-hmm. it's weird. And it's all around weight and it's all around food. Well, you and know, it's, around it's interesting, actually, now that you say it that way. I mean, so I, I use Weight Watchers and I kind of budget my eating with the Weight Watchers app and I use points and I do talk about it a lot. Now I don't oppose it on anyone else at all, but like my kids will be like, Hey dad, do you want this? I'm like, nah, it's too many points. And they'll be like, Oh, you and your points. I'm like, I, I, it's tough. Like I try to be careful. I'm like, look, I was heavier than I wanted to be. And in my case, like, and I do think it was valid. There were some health reasons why it was in my interest to lose some weight. 
And so I want to lose weight. I don't think you should worry about points. I don't think you need to worry about it, but like, this is what I'm focused on. But I do worry sometimes that like, are they going to, you know, when they hit 20, are they going to be like, I need to be on Weight Watchers. Like, but like, I hope not. It's like when I was nine and I told my dad I wanted to smoke like him. That's when he quit smoking. Wow. I'm going to have to get off Weight Watchers because he's fucking kids. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, I mean, listen, it's not all or nothing, right? I mean, as you've just pointed out, you chose to lose weight for very specific reasons. I think that's what I really ultimately want for people is yeah. that they come to it on their own terms yeah, do your thing with, right? their, with a real comfort and availability to that and not having it kind of mediated exactly. by other things. And it's hard, obviously, lots of things are difficult to do. But I think as much as possible, I, that's what I always hope for with people is that you're making these choices as much as possible based on your own desires. And, yeah. and <laughs> otherwise, the culture is going to punish people. you. My mm. God, just like stop commenting on other people, please. Let's move on to recommendations, which is something you've seen, heard, read, or experienced you think other people should see, hear, read, or experience. Trisha, you're going first today. I'm trying to play catch up with Oscar movies. <laughs> I'm, I'm listeners, a face. Chris's face. He did I'm not like that. Face. Anyway, go on. I know. I've Are seen... we still doing that? Well, listen, I'm just, you know what it is? I'll be real, real clear cut. My sister's in Zag and she gets the DVDs. Um, So I watched (laughs) Minari, which I could have watched at home, but I went to a drive-in to see it. Really loved it. Actually wonderful movie about a Korean family who um, decided that for some God darn reason, they decided that they wanted to own a farm in the middle of Timbuktu somewhere in in Americana. And it's basically about their struggles to live off of a farm, which by the way, who's making those choices? That's the only thing I kept saying throughout watching of this. I would look over to my friend and I was like, Jess, why are we doing this? So it was all wrapped up into like, it was actually really wrapped up into this bigger question around like masculinity. Like the father was like really committed to it. And he took his family there. And I was like, what is it with men, nature, and farming what's going on here the um, conquering the conquering the, of something the earth was, it was super interesting forcing so, it to do what you want it to do so you know the big controversy about that movie is that it was a korean american movie but it was fully filmed in america it's actually a korean movie but yeah. the movie takes place in america but they're speaking korean through a good brunt of the movie and, and the director like, is korean is, is that korean. correct well, I'm not sure about that. I mean, if it was, I think the movie's like, it was fully financed here. It's a movie about here. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I think I left the movie saying was, wow, this is a really, really American movie because it's about farming and all of these ideas around American masculinity and all of that stuff. And so good, good movie. I highly recommend watching it. Also saw Promising Young Women. Not sure how I feel about that. That's That raises that some an interesting- Anti-recommendation? It's an interesting question about date cult, date, date and rape culture. So I, I, I actually think let's let's table that for a future conversation. You all should watch that movie and we can talk about it because it raises some really interesting questions around revenge, women, mm. dates, okay. all kinds of stuff. I've, so, I've heard about this. I like maybe that's could be a special outrageous watches episode. I'm interested in both of your perspective on it, actually, too. I squirreled away from it. Um, and I left uncomfortable at the end. Okay. So. <laughs> so let's let's table that uh, and let's let's move on to Jason. Jason, what do um what do you gotta say? So I am recommending uh, an episode of Planet Money, the podcast. Ooh. We buy a superhero two loophole. 
I have to admit, I haven't heard We Buy a Superhero 1, but I really like We Buy a Superhero 2. Um, basically, they decide they want to buy a, a superhero like, you know, from Marvel or DC and they say no and they, they go searching through the public domain. So it's educational. Like I learned a lot about how public domain works and that kind of thing. But what's really cool, which ties to our podcast here is um, in th- part of the episode, they're interviewing the um, cartoonist who revived uh green turtle and so it was just very interesting hearing his experience can you talk about what the green turtle is i it took me a second to remember what you were talking yeah sorry can you talk a little bit yeah green turtle was a a comic series uh um, created by a chinese american artist who was intended to be a chinese um, superhero and who the comic company at the time said no you can't do that and so he just never showed the hero's face and so the you know publisher or whatever could say like oh yeah it's just a white superhero and the cartoonist could know that actually no it's an asian superhero thank you i am going to recommend nostalgia Paramount Plus has begun airing episodes of the real world Homecoming, which is following up with seven strangers who are picked to live in a loft and have their lives taped to see what happens when people stop being nice and start being real. Real real world New York. So back in the 90s, the first episode of MTV's real world hit and it had the... um, It had the seven strangers on it. And now they follow up with those strangers some 29, 30 years later. And I have to say, I was 17 when that show was on. So I was slightly younger than the people on the show. But my God, you know, thinking about where we were at that moment in the early 90s and thinking about how the conversations that they had on that show were so different from what was going on right there. It was such a focus on young people talking about race and culture. Um, which was wholly new to MTV for sure, but yeah. wholly new in general. Now it's like they bring the seven people back to the loft down on Prince and Broadway in New York. And it's wonderful to watch. One, if you are a certain age watching this, it's like watching your friends come back together, but also watching these people now in their 40s and 50s, talk about some of the things they talked about, talking about race, watching Kevin and Becky talk about race again 30 years later, and watching Becky, who is fully <laughs> evolved into a Karen at this point, watching <laughs> watching <laughs> Becky still being unable after all this time to really understand what sy- systemic racism and oppression is, and watching Kevin having to be very careful about how he talks to this white woman. Kevin Still, was a poet, is that right? Kevin Powell was a poet. Yes. He was for Congress uh, twice. He was like, you know, he interviewed Tupac Shakur several times for Vibe and Rolling Stone. He really made a career for himself. And you know the thing is, I should sell these t-shirts, Kevin was right. Back in the Always. 90s, Kevin was on that show talking about America's a super racist country. The scales are tipped. You know, he was saying all these things that we are now publicly saying full-throatedly in the past two years. And he was on the tip back then. Watching the show now, watching how these people grew up and thinking about my own youth and watching the show, it's like Kevin was such a hero. Honestly, he was such a hero. He was fighting the fight before the fight was popular. Anyway, it's really great to catch up. If you have never heard of The Real World New York, um, or if the people I'm referencing sounds like from a different show, then congratulations, you're young. But if you're on a certain age, it really is cool to revisit people 
um, and revisit our own youth. Like I said, I'm recommending nostalgia and the show via, but re, re, like just thinking about where I was in the nineties and the things that I believed, it's been really great to sit back and go through that again. It's, yeah. it's so funny that we really felt like we knew these people just from watching them. But last thing on this, when they filmed that, they thought it was a documentary. They didn't realize that it would launch an entire wave of programming that exists True. and persists to this day. Yeah, no kidding. They were the first reality TV show. And watching the behind the scenes clips that they show on this show, when they're asking the people at the casting, what do you think this is? And they're like, a documentary about art? Like the naivete, Aww. so refreshing. You know, there isn't a young person today, if you put a camera in their face, they would know exactly what you're doing. Yeah. But they were so naive back then. And it's so, it was just a window in a different world. So check it out. Check it out. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> that's it, everybody. That is the end of this episode. And I have to say, I think it was a good one. So if you disagree with me, write us and let us know if you think um, it was terrible. The Outrageous Podcast at gmail.com. Babu. Absolutely. Any last words? No, you've totally made me nostalgic for real world. Well, go check it out. You, so. Jason made me nostalgic for the green turtle. I want to read that again. It was really great. That means our recommendations were way on point tonight. Good job, everybody. <laughs> we're winning. Yeah, and on that note, everyone, bye. 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 bye.